The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to P.I.'s Declassified, an inside look at the world of private investigators. Your host is Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator. Francie and her guests take you behind the scenes and into the genuine, sometimes gritty business of investigation. You'll hear stories from the trenches with plenty of surprises. Here's your host, Francie Kaler. Good morning. I'm very excited about the show this morning about uh, digital forensics, but first, I want to give a couple of shout-outs this morning to uh, Dick Gutman from Gutman PR in Los Angeles and Patrice Addy, the writer, uh, one of the writers for The Hollywood Reporter, both for assisting me and having Stacy Keats, a.k.a. Mike Hammer, on the show last week. It was a fun show, and I appreciate, really appreciate Patrice and Dick's assistance with that, uh, as well as Kelly, uh, Stacy Keats' uh, assistant. And then I want to welcome a new sponsor, Brownyard Programs Insurance Company, um, at www.brownyardprograms.com. They specialize in private in the private security industry and provide insurance for private investigators, security guards, burglar, background screening, armored cars, and so forth, uh, even actually uh, public law enforcement agencies. So welcome to the great folks at Brownyard, Pam Bancott, Bruce, and Barbara Brownyard. And today's program... Cybercrime, Chasing Digital Footprints. Well, is there an evidence of a crime, uh, threatening emails, child pornography? Can an alibi be confirmed? Was the target of the investigation sitting at a specific computer at the time of the crime? Can you prove that? What about the intent to commit a crime, planning a homicide or selling stolen property? Is there a document that needs authentication? And what about identifying a stalker? Or how about um, gathering evidence of, a, of industrial espionage or a threat to national security? My guest today examined computers on the Scott Peterson's double homicide of his wife Lacey and their unborn child. Today, Scott Peterson is sitting on California's death row. Examined computers on Michael Jackson's child molestation allegations. Another case, John Mark Carr, who was accused uh, on the case of John Bonet Ramsey. This is David Townsend, David D. Townsend, Sr. He's a recognized authority on computer forensics and cybercrime investigation. He spent over 20 years in police and detective um, agencies or police and detective experience. He's had many high-profile uh, assignments, the Silicon Valley, this is San Jose, California area, high-tech crimes task force uh, with the FBI, uh, with the... Uh, FBI REACT Task Force. He's investigating all kinds of high profile and cyber crimes. He developed, designed, and implemented training for investigators and staff 
with tools, resources, and investigative techniques in computer crime. He's also a California licensed investigator, member of the California Association of Licensed Investigators. He's a computer crimes expert um, and certified by the California Peace Officer Standing and Training, which we call POST. He's also an expert witness in both civil and criminal cases, federal and state court. And finally, he provides uh, computer forensic supports for data collection, incident response for Kaiser Permanente Hospital's information security team. So has digital evidence been altered when it's gathered from a computer, a cell phone, a flash drive, a camera? Must it be handled so the conclusions are based on factual evidence? So if you have questions about any of these things, questions for Dave Townsend, you can call in to PIC Classified at 1-866-472-5787. Welcome to PIC Classified, Dave. Francie, thank you very much for having me here, and uh, uh, wonderful Veterans Day for all the veterans out there. Exactly right, and, and we will be honoring our veterans today. So where would you like to start? There's just so many areas. Dave, um, I noticed that one of the things that uh, you gave me today to talk about are sniffers. And could you would you just start out with sniffers because that sounds like a good place to start? Absolutely, Francie. And, and you're right. The the cyber crime and computer crime component uh, in today's uh, business and, and personal uh, computer use is huge. So there's many different facets. Um, I'm going to try to touch on a, a number of them today. Okay. Uh, everything from uh, home use to uh, cyber terrorism. Okay. And we will start off uh, with sniffers. And sniffers are, um, it sounds kind of intriguing. And, and what it essentially is, is it's a digital uh, component that is sniffing the data that's going back and forth on your home computer or on your, your corporate computer and it's looking for specific things. So it's sniffing out email or keywords. So in uh, trade secret cases, uh, you may be looking for the new marketing materials that, are, that a company is putting out or when they're going to launch their new software or hardware. So uh, these sniffers are put on um, both maliciously and, and as a way to monitor employees at work. Hmm. There's some really nice software that's out there that's designed to keep folks in line and make sure they're um, they're working when they're sitting at the desk to get in a paycheck. Interesting. And is this also used by the government to seek out terrorism? Well, there's uh, you know with the sniffers, it, it's a it's essentially a wiretap. But yes, it is it is used. Uh, but you have to go through the same process as you would if you're going to eavesdrop on somebody's phone call. I see. Um, so it has to go through the, the wiretap uh, process, uh, but it's for a computer, and you would essentially put it on somebody's computer and track email. Just like a search uh, warrant would be required. Yep, for the government, you okay. bet. And for the, for the private uh, corporations, uh, most employees sign a computer use policy that um, informs them that anything they do on the company computer there is no right to privacy. Hmm. Interesting. So it can capture any information, uh, both outbound and inbound, from a yes. given computer, or does it, or is it done on a network? Well, you could do it on a, a number of different 
uh, things. You can set it up on individual computers. So if I wanted to be uh, a bad guy and I wanted to figure out what, what Francie was doing uh, this week, I could send an email that has a script embedded inside it um, that would launch and basically capture um, your Outlook email or your Gmail, whatever it is that I set it up to do. Hmm. Very interesting. So it's kind of like bugging your computer, huh? That's exactly what it is. And, and when you're talking about investigating this type of a crime, this is where the, uh, uh, the proficiency and the expertise of, of somebody that has the training is very, very important. This is where you're, you're tracing the digital footprint. So, for example, in a corporation environment, um, I've been engaged in the past to go in and look for these kind of um, sniffers. And when you find them, now you have to trace them back to figure out where they came from. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, tracing the digital footprint can be very difficult. Uh, the digital evidence is very, very time-sensitive because it can be overwritten. It can be destroyed both out of business um, continuity needs and because the person knows that their digital footprint may be tracked. They may just delete that data. And so, hmm, that's interesting. Can it do damage also to your computer? Yeah, it, it can do damage. Um, you know, they have uh, programs that you can, uh, you know, it, it just depends on the on the person that's creating the script or creating the program um, that's going to get on your computer. Now, I'm talking about software um, scripts and stuff. Mm-hmm. There's also hardware components where, you know, people will put a, um, a piece of uh, hardware between the keyboard and the computer, and that's essentially going to be grabbing keystrokes. Right. Um, it's still widely used. It's easy to pick up. You can find those things online that will capture those keystrokes. Um, again, it, it is illegal. You're not supposed to be doing that. But uh, in especially in the Silicon Valley, where you know we're the heart of the theft of intellectual property, we get a lot of people who are very creative um, when they want to steal proprietary information. Sure. Sure. Interesting. Very uh, fascinating. So um, so do sniffers also work on cell phones and digital assistants? Yeah. Anything that you have that's, that's computer-related, uh, the script has to be written for the specific operating system. So if it's a Windows operating system, it'll be set up for that. If it's a uh, a Linux type of operating system, they'll set it up for that. So, um, you know, if I was going to exploit uh, Francie and I wanted to make sure I covered everything, I would make sure that phone was tapped, there were sniffers on the computers, and monitoring your wireless, um, you know, network, and uh, I've got your PDA and your cell phone um, being monitored. So you can cover all of those different facets. You know, it's interesting. I've been in some meetings where um, where it was highly confidential, um, high-profile cases where we actually all took our cell phones and took the battery out. Yes. Is that the best way to handle something like that? Well, it's uh, it's good, but remember that there's um, you know, once you take the battery out, there's still going to be a charge to the system um, with the uh, the processes that are in there. They actually retain some of those some of that electricity uh so when you take the cell the battery out 
you know, it may last for another hour or so, depending on the type of cell phone you have. Hmm. So, um, you know, best thing to do is to leave the cell phones outside. I'll pass that on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit more about cell phones and, and the evidence that are on cell phones and what can be done with that. Absolutely. The cell phones are, are you know, it's, it's where we're going, and the cell phones are becoming more sophisticated uh, and smaller um, as technology improves. I think uh, just about everybody that I know, including my kids, have all got cell phones. Um, you can take pictures with them now. You can take video with them now. You can text with them. Uh, you can call people. You can receive calls. Uh, you can email uh, with these things. Uh, there's just a multitude of things you can do with these with these cell phones. Mm-hmm. Now, as private investigators, you know the question is, okay, well, what can we get off of the cell phones? Well, here's the good news and the bad news. Uh, the good news is there's a lot of information that we can usually get off of, of cell phones. The bad news is is that there's thousands of types of cell phones that are out there in the market now. Mm-hmm. And each cell phone has its own nuances in terms of how it stores data, um, where the data is stored, and then the user actually comes into play with how they store their data. Okay, Dave, let's let's hold on to that. I need to take a break. You bet. Um, digital forensic expert Dave Townsend has been talking about something called sniffers and now cell phones. We have lots more to talk about back in a couple minutes. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. 
you need directions to solid financial future? If so, the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern for the Money Answer Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. My guest, Dave Townsend, a digital forensic expert, is giving us the inside scoop on digital forensic evidence. Uh, Dave, you were talking about cell phones. Yeah, so the, the cell phones are, uh, we talked about all the different uh, information that can be gleaned from a cell phone, uh, images, videos. You know, there's been a couple homicide cases that I've been involved in where people actually took video of the homicide um, you know, they take video of their rapes. They take video of, um, you know, just about anything you can think of. They're, people are doing stupid things with their cell phones. Well, that was um, uh, the evidence on the Oscar Grant um, uh, Meserlet case here in California. It, a lot of that was from cell phones. Yes, it, it was. And there's there's ways to authenticate the the you know the images and the and the video. Um, on those different things, and so uh, as the forensic expert, I'm able to get that uh, data off the phone um, in terms of the video or the pictures, and then what I do is I hand it over to a, a video expert, and they're able to put it uh, into their software and, and validate the, um, the the media or the, the video. Mm-hmm. Um, so it actually would take you know, two experts to get that piece of evidence into court, but uh, it's happening all the time now. And so you can take the uh, text messages, you can take anything that's on that phone. Well, it, again, it depends on the, on the type of phone, who the provider is, okay. um, and then um, uh, how the user stores the, the phone. Um, so it, I've had a, I had a case uh, a number of years ago where um, a, a lady uh, who had been a, an administrative assistant for a big CEO and a big company in Silicon Valley had uh, launched a, a sexual harassment and wrongful termination suit. Um, and uh, I was in, engaged by the attorney who was defending the CEO, and the CEO presented the cell phone to him. And when I went through the cell phone, there was a number of text messages from the woman 
that left nothing to the imagination in terms of what she wanted to do to him sexually. Mm-hmm. So I was able to uh, get the court to agree to let me uh, examine her phone, and we were able to create the nexus with her sending these messages to him, and that made the entire case go away, and that had uh, about a $200 million exposure wow. uh, to both the company and uh, the individual. Huge. So this data stays there. Um, and again, it's time sensitive. So if you have a case, you want to get it into the hands of an expert so that data can be removed um, from that phone uh, before it's destroyed either on purpose or accidentally. Mm-hmm. And it's important that it gets preserved or removed properly because you Correct. can hurt it, it, the it data. Can a, it can be a crime scene. It has the same... When you try to get digital evidence into court, you go through the exact same motions and voir dire to get, um, uh, you know, blood and guns and bullets and stuff into uh, into evidence. Mm-hmm. That's a really good point. I don't think uh, people think of their of their cell phones as being potential crime scenes. Yeah, and and it is. Uh, the computers can be potential crime scenes. Uh, you know, we, we were talking about sniffers before, um, you know, there's also uh, bots and, and things that will automate, um, you know, your, your webcam on your computer, and that's a common problem that people get is uh, from MySpace and sometimes Craigslist is they will, you know, pick up a virus that actually turns on their webcam, and that can be kind of imper- really? embarrassing. And what did you call it? Uh, they're, they're bots or spiders or scripts uh, that are written um, that end up on your computer that essentially uh, turn on your um, your camcorder and your microphone. And uh, Boy, that's a scary thought at my house. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So um, is there anything else on cell phones that... Well, I think that uh, if you remember that the the cell phones, with everything they do, there are many computers now. You can hit the Internet. You can check your email. Um, So you want to be cautious uh, with respect to how you're using your cell phone. Uh, Keep it locked. Uh, Put the locking code on it so people can't get it. Uh, Like with a computer, don't open up an email message if you don't know who it's from. Mm -hmm. So, um, And then if you do want to collect evidence from it, uh, get it to an expert as quickly as possible, and they can determine, you know, what can be uh, resurrected or what can be pulled off that specific computer uh, or uh, cell phone or PDA, and get it done quickly. Mm-hmm. And and where would somebody go to find a a person like you? Well, you can Google, um, you know, cell phone forensics. Um, and you can find a number of people throughout the United States that have the training and the software to be able to to get that information uh, off of um, the cell phones. Okay. All right. And and the people that are skilled in cell phones, would they also be skilled in computer forensics? Uh, not necessarily, but very possible. Okay. Uh, and let me touch on one other thing here before we leave the, the cell phone forensics. Remember that in, in 2005, every cell phone um, has to be GPS enabled. So that means that, that wherever you go, there's the potential that you can be tracked um, with your cell phone. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I've worked a number of cases where uh, putting a specific person in a location 
by uh, the cell towers picking up the, the cell phone and the ability to triangulate or, or put a person in an area of, of a crime or away from or out of the area from a crime. Yeah, I've worked with those as well on several uh, cases. Very fascinating stuff. Yeah, and, and, and we've been able to do both, prove either the person was there or prove that, they, that he wasn't there. Exactly. You bet. Interesting. Okay. Um, and then uh, let's talk about a little bit about computers. So uh, computers. Now, remember that uh, you know most of us use a Windows operating system, and we sit down and we turn it on and we go to check our email. But there's a number of different other operating systems that are out there. You know, Macintosh is another one that's growing. Uh, there's Linux um, that's uh, becoming very popular. Uh, but essentially, you have uh, a big database, a big um, concentration of data, which can be uh, work-related data, it can be personal data, but um, the documents and uh, the images that may be on a computer, the computer forensics is essentially going through the computer and recovering data that may be used in a court uh, as evidence. So that can be the recovery of spreadsheets, uh, it can be the recovery of, of applications, it mm-hmm. can be the recovery of, of digital photographs. And each photograph or each file, whether it's a music file or a photograph or a document, have got file properties. And okay. the file properties will tell you when the, last, when the document was last opened, when it was created on that specific computer. So there's a number of different ways to track uh, that document. Uh, if you wanted to figure out how that document got onto the computer, you can, um, you can do that as well. Um, uh, you have uh, a number of different um, networks that are, you know, huge uh, uh, with uh, companies that are big companies. You've got 300,000 computers that are, you know, worldwide, and, and each one of those uh, can be a source of, of digital evidence, just depending on, you know, what, what comes into play. And it really never goes away, does it? No, it really doesn't, um, and that's something that you really have to to remember. Is you know, for the most part, what you do on your computer is going to stay there. Um, your hard drive, uh, you know, now is an average hard drive is about 160 gigabytes. The average user will probably use about 15 to 20 gigabytes mm. of that space unless they're storing digital files or movies, and that means that you know, 90% of that computer. A hard drive now just stores data that you've deleted. So that is just a huge treasure chest for people like me to go through mm-hmm. and find out, you know, your inner secrets, your thoughts, um, and, uh, you know, trade secret information, uh, a, lot of, a lot of neat stuff that can be resurrected uh, out of that space called unallocated space. Interesting. So uh, as a point, I maybe uh, we should talk, to our listeners or tell our listeners about if not to give away a computer without uh, using some kind of a wipe program. Well, that's, a great, that's a great idea. Actually, what I would recommend is just take the hard drive out and destroy it. How uh, do you destroy it? You can drill, just drill a hole through it with uh, your drill. Oh, And that, good. that destroys everything. Uh, you can wipe it as well, but it's um, you know, just as easy to take the hard drive out and put a drill bit through it, um, and that uh, takes care of all that data. 
Um, but you don't want to give that computer away without, you know, doing something to it. Um, and just reformatting the drive is not going to destroy the data. Mm-hmm. So the data is still going to remain there. Interesting. And how do the white program, programs work then? The white programs are, are programs that basically overwrite the data on the hard drive, and it'll do it multiple times. I mean, there's, uh, there's DOD uh, specs, there's um, NSA specs, but essentially if you're overriding the data on your computer one time, um, that will be sufficient so that people can't get that stuff back. Okay. And there's a number of different programs that you can download. Um, There's a program called Eraser 5.7 that you can download. It's free, um, and it works very well. There's a program called Evidence Eliminator that that, uh, costs uh, about 100 bucks, Uh, but again, it's very uh, very robust. Okay. Well, uh, hang on a second, Dave. That was the voice of Dave Townsend talking about cell phone and computer forensic evidence. Stay tuned. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. Cali's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact Cali at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. IRB Search is simply the best online data provider for locating people, businesses, and assets. IRB Search gives you strength in numbers. With one click, you can access billions of records. Even with partial information on your subject, IRB Search instantly returns current and past addresses, phone numbers, and more. Call IRB Search today at 1-800-447-2112 to sign up. Mention PIs Declassified and you'll receive a two-week trial of 100 free searches to get started. Call 1-800-447-2112 to find out why IRB Search is simply the best. Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio. Because shift happens. News. 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 News.
Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. Today's program is Cybercrime, Chasing Digital Footprints with my guest and forensic expert and private investigator, Dave Townsend. We're just talking about computers. Um, Dave, you were giving us some uh, insight into computer forensics. Yeah, so, you know, part of the computer forensics is uh, the ability to uh, figure out who was on the computer, when they were on the computer, and essentially be able to put a a specific person behind the keyboard uh, that you can attach with a specific event. Mm -hmm. And one of the ways we do that is we actually have the ability to profile users. So if you have a computer that a number of people, different, different people use, um, I can go in and sort through the Internet history and how that person uses the computer um, and basically assess uh, or attach specific events to a specific user. So okay. you know, each, each person has their own uh, way of, of um, sitting down and getting going with the computer um, you know, women will, will look at shoes and Macy's and Nordstrom's, and uh, men will look at, at cars and, and mm-hmm. women and stuff like that on, on the Internet. So uh, that's one way that we use to uh, identify who was behind the computer um, when a specific event occurred. And you can also tell where that computer, for instance, if somebody has a laptop, what IP address it's coming from, correct? Correct. So... If we're trying to uh, track a, a stalking person and they're sending emails, uh, we have to have a, a current civil case or criminal case in place because you have to subpoena records, uh, but you can track that uh, right back to the, to the home of the person that sent it mm-hmm. for the most part. And that would help uh, uh, if you had a situation with an alibi. Absolutely. Where somebody was actually accessing from one place and... Somebody else was saying they were another. That's it. Yep. You bet. And authentication of documents. Would You can show when that document was accessed and altered. That's right. Okay. Uh, one of the things that we, we see a lot of now are instant messaging or, or chatting online. And um, there's a number of different chat programs. Um, but remember that there's potential logging for each one of those chat programs. So whether you're using um, AOL or Yahoo or Gmail, um, there's a setting in there where you can check whether you want to have the uh, chats logged or not. Um, Hmm. So can uh, you reconstruct all chat sessions? Yeah, you can capture all your chat sessions if you choose to. You bet. So you want to be careful with that because people tend to be a little bit looser with their um, instant messaging and chatting than they do with normal official emails. Because they think it's going to go away. Yep, yep. They think there's some anonymous uh, piece to that, and uh, unfortunately uh, they're usually wrong. 
Um, so remember that um, you know you have a, a computer, and and with your ta- if whatever reason the computer is going to be taken to be um, examined, um, the person taking the computer will you know start a chain of custody just like you would if you had a gun or a knife or something like that that was being taken, because that's part of the substantiation uh, that you have to have to be able to get a piece of evidence through evidentiary hearings in a court of law. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it's a it's a very important piece of it, um, and it has to be done right, or you have a chance of not getting that into into court. Exactly, you have to follow the rules. Well, you have really um, been involved in some high profile cases, and actually, you and I worked on the same case. Um, I believe at different times, at the same case, Susan Polk, yes, a woman who killed her husband, um, her a psychiatrist's husband yep. in Orinda, California, and uh, quite a quite an interesting case as she ended up representing herself throughout the final uh, entire homicide trial. Yeah, that's a whole story in itself. It is. <laughs> it definitely is that. So what was your involvement with that case, Dave? Well, the uh, I was engaged by uh, the attorney that was uh, working on the case uh, initially, um, and what they wanted to do is is uh, have me take a look at the the Macintosh computer that she had, and uh, Susan Polk had actually kept the diary on her on her computer, mm-hmm. and she had kept it for a number of years. And in the in the diary, she had specifics about uh, events in her life uh, almost on a daily basis, um, and she had very. Uh, interesting uh, comments about how she was treated by her husband, mm-hmm. uh, you know, her kids getting into trouble with the law. So, you know, it had the good and the bad on there. Sure. Um, and uh, one, of the, one of the things that they wanted uh, me to do is to be able to go in and show that that document had not been created in the week or weeks leading up to the homicide the prosecution had wanted to show that that document had been created recently. I see. But it hadn't. It had been, you know, going on for a year and a half, two years maybe. Now, now was it encrypted? Yes, it was. So it did was you encrypted. have to break that encryption? Um, you know, I think that, uh, I think Susan actually gave me the password um, to to get into there, um, if I remember correctly. But that's but one of the things we have to do is to be able to, to break encryption. Okay. Um, you know, if you got a document or something like that, you got to get into. You have to, and the, and the person's not being user friendly. You got to be able to get in there and get that data. Sometimes you can't, but you got to be able to have uh, the ability to do that. Now, wh- what about a chain of custody in a case like that, Dave? Well, that's uh, that's a good point because uh, the, the the laptop computer that was taken uh, initially from the crime scene, uh, they could not produce a chain of custody form. And there were some issues uh, regarding uh, access of the computer, the laptop, prior to a search warrant being um, uh, executed. You mean her access to it? No, law enforcement. Law enforcement. To it. Okay. So you have a crime scene where a person's been been killed, and then you have uh, evidence. And evidence uh, again, whether it's uh, uh, a laptop or a knife or blood. Uh, you know, those things can all be destroyed or contaminated and then not be useful in court. Mm-hmm. 
So you want to make sure that you do everything you can to ensure that that evidence is preserved properly to be able to get it into court uh, because it's valuable. So there was a number of arguments um, in court uh, uh, about the lack of chain of custody for that laptop, but it's eventually it, it did come in. Um, and we were able to show that uh, the document that she had written, the diary, had been created over a year, year and a half's time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, unfortunately, uh, she uh, chose to represent herself, which created some uh, legal problems for herself. It, I think. it was, yeah, it was a pretty wild uh, several months. Yes, it was. Yeah. Now, so uh, you were also involved in the John Mark Carr um, case as well. How right. did you get so involved you remember in that one? John Mark Carr, and for the listeners, he was the guy that uh, they went over to Thailand and picked up because he said that he was the person that, that killed uh, John Benet Ramsey. Um, and essentially, when he got back here, uh, they weren't able to substantiate that, and he was probably, um, I think they found that he was telling a lie. Uh, but in the course of all this, they found um, that he had child pornography on uh, on a computer, and that was something that he had been charged for uh, in the past and had taken off uh, to Thailand. Mm-hmm. Now, um, the problem was uh, with the digital evidence is that it wasn't properly preserved. Um, unfortunately, the law enforcement uh, misplaced it, lost some stuff, um, and ultimately that evidence did not come into court, and so uh, that part of the case went away. Uh, this is a perfect example of, of how very important evidence um, needed to come into court mm-hmm. uh, but was not able to come into court because it wasn't properly preserved. Yeah, in that case, the district attorney um, made a huge mistake by uh, somehow becoming a witness. Yeah, so in uh, in criminal cases, if you if you write out a uh, an affidavit uh, and you make yourself a witness, um, you know now you can be cross examined, and that's what happened. And uh, it's a it was a rookie mistake made by a senior uh, deputy mm. DA, um, and she ended up on the on the witness stand, which was not a good thing for her. No, it doesn't sound like no. So and then you worked on both Scott Peterson and Michael Jackson cases. Yeah, two uh, two very very fascinating uh, cases, and I wanted to just touch on uh, you know what the digital evidence was in these cases um, and how it had an impact on the cases. So uh, Scott Peterson, if you remember, one of the big things that they were talking about uh, in the media were, were tide charts, um, and the implication was that um, you know he was going to throw the bodies into the bay and wanted to understand uh, the, the tide charts of where these bodies might uh, end up. And the tide charts were on his computer? The tide charts were on his computer, um, and that those tide charts became digital evidence. Uh-huh. They were brought up um, as part of the, the case. Um, another thing that was brought up was the, uh, the emails that went back and forth between Scott and... Uh, and Amber, if you remember, he had a oh, his, yes, uh, his girlfriend. girlfriend on the side, and there were emails that were going back and forth. So you can actually get into a computer and actually get into a person's state of mind 
um, what they were thinking, what their thought process was uh, during that period of time. And uh, I was working for Mark Gergos at the time, and he wanted me to be able to go into those computers and, and look and understand um, uh, what Scott was doing and then relay that information to Mark so that he could make um, lawyer decisions on, on how he was going to take the case. Okay, we need to take one more break here. Okay. Uh, Dave, digital evidence of all kinds becomes certainly critical evidence in civil and criminal cases. And Dave Townsend is here with his interesting stories and sound advice. Back in a moment. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. Go behind the scenes of what you see, hear, and read on the news. Learn the ins and outs of public relations on Stars of PR with Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time. Cindy Rakowitz is a Clio Award winner and founder of Rock and Roll Public Relations who wants to share her PR experiences and knowledge with you. Learn how to handle a crisis, deal with celebrities, and become a terrific PR executive. Listen to the Stars of PR with Cindy R. every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time here on News Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. What would you do if you knew that you could not fail? The Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basile is a radio forum for some of the world's most influential people in the fields of health, wellness, and human potential. Dr. Pat brings together and introduces visionary scientists and futurists, environmentalists, educators, business leaders, inventors, filmmakers, authors, artists, mystics, and healers who inspire and support individual and collective growth and positive cultural shifts. This award-winning radio show empowers the listening community to be the change they want to see in the world. Tune in every Thursday. Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific for the Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basile, radio to thrive by. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. 
You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. Dave Townsend is my guest. Talking about the high-profile cases that he's worked, Scott Peterson, Michael Jackson. When you were just telling us about Scott Peterson case and the tide tables, yeah. There's, so the the, uh, the the tide tables were, were one of the aspects of things um, that that came into play. Uh, the emails that he was sent back and forth. Um, you could see where he was shopping for the the presents that he was looking uh, that he wanted to send to. Uh, his girlfriend Amber. Mm-hmm. Uh, all that stuff stays stays on the com- on the computer. Um, and if you remember, that was during a period of time where um, it was very close to Christmas. That's right. Um, so you know, both of them were uh, Scott and Lacey were looking at different things, uh, not only for the for the baby, but for Christmas stuff, presents and things like that. So uh, those things uh, stay uh, on the computer. And um, obviously, it can be used against uh, somebody if if the, the criminal case or civil case is brought against them. And then, uh, what did you do in the Michael Jackson case? Well, the Michael Jackson case had you know that was an interesting one all the way around. Uh, you've got probably one of the highest profile people in the world that are, is being accused of uh, child exploitation, um, and uh, you know. I was provided uh, with 14 computers that had been taken from his Neverland Ranch. Amazing. Um, and my job was to go through and identify the specific computers that uh, Michael Jackson had access to, and um, uh, I did that and, and uh, was able to isolate um, the computers that, that Michael used on a regular basis versus uh, the computers that staff used and... Um, other people within the, the ranch, mm-hmm. and one of the things that um, uh, the attorneys that I was working for wanted me to do was to profile um, Michael Jackson as a computer user and see if there was any evidence of child exploitation or if there was any, um, you know, interest, uh, unlawful interest in kids or children and. Uh, going through all 14 computers, uh, I didn't see anything uh, that remotely uh, suggested he had any interest in, in children. Now, keep in mind that I've done probably thousands of, of child exploitation cases, and it's not very hard to get into a computer and, and identify people that have uh, an unlawful interest or uh, a malicious interest in, in children. Sure, and you found absolutely no evidence anywhere. No evidence at all um, on any of those computers against him. Michael Jackson, um, it's, it's, a, it's somewhat of a sad story. He's a different person, but he certainly wasn't um, a child um, predator. Okay. Well, I don't want to uh, conclude this program without talking about uh, cyber terrorism. Um, yeah, Francie, that's, um, that's some fascinating stuff. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Oh no no no! That's you didn't <laughs> you didn't. But um, but I wanted I wanted you to address that a little bit if you would. 
Yeah, so cyber terrorism uh, is, is an important facet that our government pays uh, very close attention to. And I think that uh, the listeners would be interested to know um, how uh, cyber terrorism could affect them, mm-hmm. um, cyber warfare, cyber crime in, in general. Um, you know, we, we're, at, we're at war, and there's cyber warfare that goes on amongst both sides. Um, you have to remember that virtually everything is connected to the Internet, um, including uh, shipping, uh, your power grid. All that information is connected to uh, the Internet, and if it's on the Internet, it can be hacked. Uh, it just takes a matter of, of time. Uh, some of the areas of concern are government labs, uh, high-risk areas because of the work that's being done on site. Okay. Uh, your utilities, your gas, your water. Uh, dams, you know, you can, you know, open up dams and flood entire cities um, before they can get that stuff shut back down again. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about air traffic control? Oh, oh sure. my God, you know, it's... Uh, there's things that can happen there, hospitals. Probably banks. Turn off hospital, you know, all the ventilators stop working, banks and other financial institutions. Um, But, you know, if you think about, you know, we're trying to resupply troops um, in the Middle East, and uh, some of the stuff is being done through government contractors that are getting their information from online dispatches. Mm -hmm. And that stuff can be rerouted to the wrong location uh, be attacked and that inf- that uh, load can be taken and used against us. And could could it be done through satellite? Or is that something else altogether? Um, that's something else altogether. Okay. Um, you know, you, you think about uh, cyber terrorism and you're th- you think about uh, what uh, a terrorist would want to do to get the biggest terrorism uh, impact uh, for what he's doing. Um, and, uh, you know, taking down the command and control for law enforcement, fire, the public safety, or, or even uh, the military. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can create an uprising um, of our own people just by uh, putting out bad uh, information. Sure. But I, I, I want to, uh, to also let people know that there are folks working diligently you know, around the clock, 365 days a year, all over the world on our behalf, the United States of America, to make sure that um, this stuff is protected mm-hmm. and that we have uh, a deterrent in place to reduce the chance of things like this happening. That's good news. Yes. Well, I, you know, I wanted to make sure that everybody knew that uh, there was something in place to prevent this stuff. Sure. Sure. Well, do you have um, some advice to give our listeners about their own computers? Yeah, uh, absolutely. You know, whether you're a small business owner, you're a, a, a corporate uh, businessman, or you're, you know, a, a mom that works out of the home, um, you have to be careful with uh, the information that comes into your computer. And that just takes an extra set of being diligent. Make sure that your operating system has all the updates done. Mm-hmm. So make sure that Microsoft is uh, being updated. Make sure your antivirus is being updated on a regular basis. When that thing comes up for renewal, make sure that it's a top priority. 
spend the $30 and get that renewed. Um, and pay attention to what you're opening up uh, in your email. The, uh, the phishing schemes where um, you get a, a, an email from uh, what looks like your bank and they're asking you to confirm your password. Um, these are you know, idiots that are capturing your username and password and then emptying out your bank account. So it's, it's still being done. It's been going on for years, and people are still falling for it, and so the crooks are continuing to do it. Okay. Well, Dave, thank you so much. We're out of time. My pleasure. Uh, we could talk for another hour, I know. There's so much here. gave us such valuable information about digital evidence, and thank you so much for joining the program. Thanks, uh, if you wanted to contact Dave, um, go to www.picclassified.com. His information will be there as long as along with a PowerPoint of his presentation he gave us today. Next week we have adoptee Gene Strauss and private investigator Tamara Thompson. Uh, Gene Strauss is going to be the subject of a film adopted for the life of me that will be airing on PBS. Next week we will declassify more real stories from real investigators every Thursday morning, 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern. See you next week. It's PIC Classified, and I'm Francie Kaler. You've been listening to PIC Classified with your host, Francie Kaler. Tune in every Thursday at noon Eastern Time. That's 9 a.m. for you West Coast listeners. P.I.'s Declassified explores stories of deceit, mystery, and detectives unraveling the truth every Thursday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific Time, here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff and management.